how are you now? E, is anybody surprised? How are you now? Folks, your Montreal Canadiens, as predicted by myself and probably most people who watch hockey, lose to the Tampa Bay Lightning by a score of 5-3. to three. Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake and I am uh, quite unsurprised and unangry about that one honestly uh, a relatively competitive game again uh, there they go scoring three goals in a game that they lose you got to like the fact that they're putting pucks in the net even in games where they're clearly overmatched um, the f- I wrote about this in my last uh, after the last game on Habs Eyes and the Prize uh, they're finding scoring even in really tough games so that's good news uh, and they lost which is good for the tank so a um, lot to get to in this one so let's uh, let's jump right into the recap so that I can uh, kind of move on and talk about some of the hot button issues surrounding that game. Uh, I think some of you probably know what I'm getting at, but I'll get through this recap and then uh, we'll discuss it. So early in the first period, quite early in the first period, as a matter of fact, Puck gets kicked out of the corner right onto the stick of Nick Suzuki in the offensive zone. He puts one over to the other side, tape to tape to Mike Hoffman, a little snapper, and it's one nothing for the Montreal Canadiens, but it was a relatively short-lived lead for the Habs. Um, just under nine minutes left in the period, Long shift for the Habs. They just can't get off the ice. Uh, Justin Barron breaks his stick, so not only do they have some guys that have been out there for well over a minute, it's basically a power play for the Lightning because we got a, a stickless guy running around out there trying to uh, chase down some of the Lightning players, and it hurts. Nick Paul gets it back to Victor Hedman at the point. He snaps one through traffic, and that makes it 1-1. That's it for the first period. Shots were 13-6 to in favor of the Lightning. It was kind of an uneventful period. Uh, but one that I would definitely argue the Habs were a little bit lucky uh, to be tied after. Now we go into the second period, and the shooting gallery keeps rolling for Tampa. It's a little bit slower, uh, but they get there. Less than five minutes into the period, Nikita Kucherov gets his shot blocked, but it it's partially blocked, goes off the end boards, and bounces directly to Brandon Hagel uh, at the side of the net, and Samuel Montembeau had no idea where this puck was. Uh, Hagel puts an easy one in and is 2-1 to one for the Lightning. But the Habs get a quick strike back. Just after they finished announcing that one over the loudspeaker, they go right back down the ice. They get a zone entry, uh, kind of bobbled around a little bit, and Josh Anderson gets it below the goal line. Quick pass out to uh, Denis Gurianov, standing in the face-off circle, and he just hammers one past Brian Elliott, and we're tied at two. And then later in that period, the Habs actually get a lead. Uh, Mikhail Sergachev, former Hab, Takes a penalty on Gurianov. Really good job by Gurianov to draw that penalty by just kind of driving with his speed into the zone and forcing him to make a hook. And the Habs power play looking a little bit hapless, but right in the dying seconds, Mike Hoffman gains the zone, does a curl, comes back up towards the point, spots Jesse Elinen down near the left dot, left faceoff dot, throws it over there, and Elinen absolutely creams this puck. A screamer. Beats Brian Elliott, and it's 3-2 to two for the Habs. That's your score at the end of two. They have a lead, but it does not stay that way for very long in the third period. A uh, little over three minutes in. Habs are on the kill this time, uh, killing off a penalty of their own. Nikita Kucherov just feathers one to Steven Stamkos from pretty much the exact same spot on the ice where Elinen scored his goal, and it gets the same result. It's in. We're tied at three. A few minutes later, one-time Hab. Mikhail Sergachev, again, this time he just stops up at the blue line, uh, has a look, 
Fires a wrister through traffic, gets deflected by Brandon Hagel. He's got his second of the game, and it's 4-3 to three for the Lightning. And then it's Hagel again. Habs pull Samuel Montembeau in the final minute to try to get the extra attacker and see if they can even this thing up. And Hagel takes a long shot. Basically, I think he was still standing in his own zone, if I'm not mistaken. Doesn't matter. It goes into the empty net, and 5-3 to three is your final score. And what are you going to do? Tank moves, baby. The uh, Philadelphia Flyers managed to get to overtime today. And that was kind of surprising because they were playing against the Hurricanes. I thought they might get destroyed in that game. Uh, they lose to the Hurricanes in what in overtime or was it a shootout? Doesn't matter. I think it was just overtime. But they get a point, so that moves them up a little bit, um, which is good for the Habs. And Chicago and Arizona are playing each other tonight, so one of those two teams is going to get two points. We can hope that one goes to overtime, and then the Habs lose. So... <clears throat> This was a good tank night for sure. Definitely um, helps the old draft lottery odds a little bit. It, 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 even if they won, they because of the results around them, they didn't have any opportunity to move up. Uh, but losing is definitely better for the the, the tank effort overall. So uh, good news. And then maybe some less good news. We got to talk about the elephant in the room, and that's Jonathan Drouin in this game. Um, he didn't play. And it's not that he didn't dress because anybody who watched the game, you saw him on the bench, you saw him in warm-ups, he was there. He just didn't play. Now, most of you will have already heard the story by now. So what happened was uh, the other day they had a meeting and he was apparently late for that meeting. And Martin St. Louis has a strict policy where, you know, if you're not, if you're late for the meeting or if you don't show up for a meeting, you um, don't get to practice or play in the next game. Now, that's a pretty self-explanatory rule. I think it's a rule that most people can probably get behind. But my only issue with this is that uh, Renaud Lavoie tweeted out after the game. I think he was in the room and maybe they made, for whatever reason, they made Drouin available for the media after a game that he literally did not play in. Uh, But he said that he was two minutes late for this meeting. And it was because he, uh, he didn't hear his, um, his alarm to wake him up in the morning. So he was two minutes late. Now, if this is the case, if he was only two minutes late for the meeting, I'm not a big fan of fucking holding him, like making him dress and then just having him sit on the bench for the entire game. I feel like that's a little bit obtuse. I feel like two minutes is something that's explainable. You know, if I was two minutes late for work one day and my employer tried to discipline me, I'm fucking on the job trail that moment. I'm not even going to do any work for the rest of that day. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm sick and I'm going to go home. I work from home anyway, so it doesn't really work that way. But I would log off. I would not do any more work for the rest of the day. And uh, I'd be looking for other jobs. There's there's no way I'm going to be chastised for being two minutes late for anything, let alone a, a meeting. Now, that being said, we have to consider the possibility of this maybe being a more regular thing. Maybe he's late for meetings a lot. And um, Marty just kind of got sick of it and said, well, you know what? It's too many times that you've been late. And maybe the last time he was late, he was warned about it and then ended up being late again. And then the consequences follow. So I don't know the full story. I think two minutes is definitely very obtuse. But I, I will say in defense of Mountain St. Louis, if it was only the two minutes, is I do like the fact that he's set a policy and that he's sticking to it. You know, I think that kind of consistency and sending a message that you know this is the rules they apply to everybody and you're going to have to follow them and if you don't follow them then there's going to be consequences i think it's a little bit rigid but it it speaks to 
his ability to, to have really command of his room. Drouin, for his part, he didn't have any complaints about it. According to Renaud Lavoie, he accepted the decision. Uh, he's still dressed. He still sat on the bench and encouraged his teammates. He saw him standing and uh, tapping on the boards. Um, so, you know, he he was there and uh, he was present. And it's not like he sat there and sulked about it. He, you know, took his medicine and accepted it. So good on him for that. And again, good on Martin Saint-Louis for having a policy and sticking to that as well. So I don't think this is as big of a story as people want it to be. But I do think that the reason I had to talk about it is because I wonder, does this have an impact on him potentially coming back next year? There's been a lot of talk. People are kind of enamored with the idea of a, a one-year, $1 million deal. Cheap, team-friendly, allows them to get you know a reliable option for their bottom six that doesn't cost them a whole heck of a lot of money and allows him the opportunity to go out and earn his next contract. I think there's, a, there, there's, there's definitely smoke, and where there's smoke, there's usually fire when it comes to things like that. So I think that they are potentially interested in bringing him back on, say, a one-year deal. I talked about this before. I'd be in favor of it as long as it's, you know, one of those $1 million deals or league minimum or something like that. Something that really doesn't break the bank for the Habs, but still gives him an opportunity to play uh, and try to earn his next deal. Now, with this situation, I wonder, is this going to have an impact on whether or not he's even interested in doing that? Like I said, if I was two minutes late for a meeting at my job, and my employer tried to chastise me for it and said, you know what, I'm going to have you come and sit at this next meeting and you're not even participating. You're just going to sit there and you're going to watch it for two and a half hours. I would say, fuck this, fuck you, I'm looking for a new job. Plain and simple. It's It just seems like, like two minutes to me just seems a little bit too rigid. So I'm, I'm kind of popping the question here. If you're Jonathan Drouin, and if that really is the case, if it really was just those two minutes, sure, he showed up, he sat there, he took his medicine, good on him for it. But are you really going to be willing to sign another contract, come back and put yourself in that on that same team knowing that this happened? It might leave a bad taste in your mouth. So I don't know. No, it kind of begs the question as well. Does it even matter, Right. If he doesn't come back and sign for a one-year, $1 million deal, is it the end of the world for the Montreal Canadiens? Of course not. They're rebuilding. Uh, a lot of veterans are going to be on their way out anyways before the rebuild is actually complete. Nobody really thinks the rebuild is going to be complete next year. I think even if they got Connor Bedard in the draft, I don't think that they're necessarily going to have the type of team that can go out and compete for a playoff spot. They're still working on this rebuild. So, you know, it's not the end of the world if that ends up being the case. But I do wonder, is it going to make it a little bit more contentious in terms of negotiations? Should there be any negotiations? Negotiations, and you know what does that end up looking like? He's had a pretty rough go in Montreal uh, since that trade involving, of course, Mikhail Sergachev, who was pretty involved in that game that they just played, and it just kind of sucks to see it end this way. Um, but who knows? I could be wrong about all of this, and maybe he really, maybe he's been showing up late all the time. Uh, maybe this is his way of saying that he wants to get out of Montreal. Maybe uh, he really is accepting it and maybe he's going to have no problem coming back anyways and <clears throat> all of my pondering about whether or not this is going to bother him uh, is completely irrelevant. So, hey, it happened. Um, he was there. He didn't play whatsoever and <clears throat> it was uh, it, it was a game and they lost anyways. So, um, you know, they couldn't have scratched him really because they don't really have the bodies right now to be scratching people. I think they needed to have him on the bench just in case somebody got hurt. So I feel like that was kind of smart to have him around just in case you really need to play him and you don't have a choice and you got to abandon that whole uh, punishment aspect of it. But, you know, whatever. 
I digress. Silver lining of the night. We haven't even gotten to that yet. Your silver lining of the night, I, I don't think that anybody would argue with the fact that I'm going to be picking. Uh, well, I'm going to pick two players, actually. And the first one, number one, Denis Gurianov. Um, <clears throat> this guy's fucking lethal with a one-timer. You give him any kind of space in the offensive zone, and it doesn't have to be a whole heck of a lot of space. You give him any kind of space within which he can operate, and you give him that one-touch pass, right, where you put it, put it in his wheelhouse and give him an opportunity to put that thing on goal. He's going to do it, and the velocity that he gets on the puck is incredible. That shot, Brian Elliott didn't have the, the best game ever. I don't think he was fantastic, but it, there's nothing he could do about that one. He was in good position. He had the right angle, and Gurianov just absolutely blasted that thing. So... I'm super impressed with him since he's come over. Uh, I've said this before, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I truly believe if they can smooth out some other areas of his game, what he can do offensively, what he can do with his his skating and with his shot, it's very Josh Anderson-esque, and I think that there's absolutely a place for him within the context of building a proper Stanley Cup contender. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do with this guy. He's, he's fun to watch. That penalty that he drew that they ended up scoring on the, for the elon in goal he was just flying around mikhail sergachev and he gave him no choice it was either mikhail sergachev had basically two options you either foul him you could hook him trip him whatever you want hold him one of the three or you could let him get the puck and then you could try to readjust and maybe defend him on the way back to the net but man he skates fast and he's got a big body and he can drop that shoulder and go right through you and get to the net anyways so he kind of forced Sergachev's hand, gets the penalty, Habs end up cashing in on it. I like this guy. I like him a lot. I, I really think that he could be a part of this rebuild, and that's why he's your number one silver lining of the night. And then number two, second, last, but not least, Jesse Elin. What a game from him. All right, his goal, absolute screamer. He hammered that puck with the type of violence that only great shooters can do the velocity on that thing that's an unstoppable puck again brian elliott not the best goalie in the league not his best night either but nothing that he could have possibly done about that a shot like that you just have to hope that wherever you're standing happens to have you in a position where it's going to hit you that's it there is no uh like you're not going to react fast enough to actually like flash the leather on it or anything like that you just got to hope that your angle's right and that he can't get it in the spot where you're not and that's what happened elanin has an incredible shot i don't know what his ceiling is i'm struggling so hard i actually sat down I, i took about 10 minutes after the game before i even started recording to kind of think and look at some highlights and to try to think myself like what what would his ceiling be i have no idea i don't think that he really fits with the Habs as a future top six player. I could be wrong about that. I hope I'm wrong about that. But as a bottom six guy with a shot like that, as long as he can, you know, be a little bit better defensively, I think you could have a guy on like your third line there that can also chip in on the power play that could really be extremely useful for you moving forward in the rebuild. I don't know, man. Shoots the puck like violent violent shot i love it i love a violent shot and i think that there's always going to be a way that you can work that into your lineup somewhere right i don't think they're going to have a hard time figuring out a spot where he can play i think there's the question is how high can he actually get himself he's done pretty well in in short stints on the top line this season um But hey, um, you know he's he's making the most of his opportunity, and uh, I like his chances to to be on the starting um, on the opening night roster next year. So we'll see. 
We got to wait and see. Outside of that, uh, this was every bit of a tank game. Wasn't a whole lot exciting going on. I felt like Semyon Montembeau played pretty well. Um, felt like Josh Anderson played pretty well. He actually looked like he got hurt at one point. He took a shot off like the inside of the wrist. Uh, but he ended up staying in the game. Um, so I think he was okay. There's nothing really to report there. Um, who else? Nick Suzuki played pretty well. Uh, Got to hand it to him once more. It's just they they don't have the personnel right now to beat teams like Tampa regularly without you know having one of their best games, one of their absolute best nights, and potentially also requiring their goaltender to do a little bit of heroics for them. It's just the way it is. That's the Habs this year. I said it in the previous two episodes when I was looking at the schedule. What did I say? I said, listen, we got a home-and-home coming with Tampa. That's probably two easy losses that you can just schedule, that you can book ahead of time. So the next one's going to be on Tuesday. That one's going to be in Montreal. So we'll see. Maybe the Habs get up a little bit more for that one. Maybe Drouin gets back into the actual lineup and, and playing and uh, and ends up playing with some you know some real fire in his belly and, and goes out there and torches his old team. I don't know. But I see that one as being a loss. And they got the Bruins after that. And then we got our first you know winnable game in, in a little while with uh, the Blue Jackets on Saturday at the Bell Center. Next Saturday, that is. So... Um, I don't know. The tank rolling along just fine. We're still in uh, bottom five. We're in fifth last right now. Um, we'll see what happens with the Chicago and Arizona game. Uh, one of those teams is ahead of them right now, Arizona, so they might be able to pull away a little bit more. And the other one's behind them in Chicago, so they might actually be able to gain some ground on the Habs and make it a little bit more possible for them to move up in the bottom five. Um, it should get interesting from here on out. It should get interesting. And um, last thing that I want to talk about here before I end the episode is that we have come to an agreement um, at Eyes in the Prize that we are going to be joining the fan Fans First Sports Network from a podcasting standpoint. So that means absent minded the bottom six minutes, we're going to be moving everything. We're going to be moving back over to Megaphone uh, as like our hosting platform. And uh, we're, we're still going to be available on Apple, Spotify, everything. Nothing's going to change in terms of availability. I may be bringing my episodes back onto the main Eyes on the Prize channel. Um, we're, I'm trying to work out whether or not we're going to be able to make a modification on that and kind of amalgamate the two channels. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to be continuing my episodes. We've just we, we've come to an agreement with a new network. Uh, we're, we signed the contract uh, just the other day. And that's going to be moving forward, I think, probably by next week. So we'll see. Um, in the interim, you can stay tuned on the existing channels that I've already got on Apple, Spotify, whatever you use, or my Substack. I'm going to continue posting everything through there anyways uh, for some people who prefer to listen to it on that um, particular platform. And uh, I will let you guys know if and when there is a different channel that you would need to hypothetically go and subscribe to in order to continue listening to the bottom six minutes. We're making moves, folks. We're making moves. We're keeping this thing going. And um, we we feel like this is a really good deal for us that we're going to be able to continue to, con- uh, to, to make some content for you guys. And uh, we're, we're not going to have, uh, you know, Vox looking over our shoulders anymore. Uh, and we're not going to have them looming over with the possibility of canceling us whenever they feel like it. So, yay. We're still in business, folks. And what are we running today? Almost 20 minutes. Well, it's going to be over 20 minutes by the time I'm done here. So, c'est une soirée énorme. Pour les employés de soutien, we are on Spotify, Google, Apple. 
I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I'd appreciate it very much. I'm also on Substack. As I mentioned, mattdrake.substack.com. It is free and it always will be if you want to subscribe over there. Um, I would appreciate that as well. Thank you, as always, for listening. And, of course, à la prochaine.